Hey there, welcome back to another episode of Rocky and Scripted. We talk about faith when Sunday is over. Glad you're back with us. Today we have a special guest on the show. We welcome Trevor DeVage to Rocky and Scripted. Trevor is one of Sean's really, really good friends, and he joined us this past Sunday at the church. Trevor taught a powerful message about grace, and unfortunately it is just too natural for us to judge people. Uh, especially people that don't look like us, behave like us, view the world the way we do. And if you missed this week's message, check it out. It's called Rocky Messages. It's a podcast. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. And without any more delay, let's dive into the conversation with Trevor and Sean. Well, welcome, Trevor and Sean. Good to have you guys. It's good to be here. Good to be here. Trev, good to have you, man. Man, this, this is great. I like- we, we've been talking about having you for quite a while. Yeah, well, we talked free COVID, and then we did. Yeah, then the world shut down, and then uh, last year we'll probably get in this. My life blew up a little bit, and uh, so life's been crazy, but it's good to have you here. <laughs> it's man, good sure. to be here. Yeah, I've, I've loved uh, just hanging out and getting to see uh, the church, the campuses, all that kind of stuff. Like great, great space. Great. The, here's what I loved about your staff as I just walked around meeting staff. Um, there's just a culture of uh, humility and <clears throat> hospitality here. Like walked in the door, it's just it's really cool to see how that's permeated through your entire place. Absolutely, that's, that's good sad. to hear. Yeah, and you know one reason why it's good to meet you because Sean has been talking about this pastors group that he's involved with, and we don't really know if it exists. <laughs> it's kind of like that that kid in high school that's like, oh, my girlfriend goes to another school. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, there's a pastors group. Oh, comes out. It yeah. comes out. So you guys just rolled off of a. a uh, a week together, right? We did. And we, we've been together nine years now, right? Yeah. Almost Goodness. 10. Almost 10. Almost yeah. 10. Yeah. And actually funny enough, I mean, we go to, we go to a cabin in Arizona now and what we have for most of it, but it actually started in Colorado. It did. Yeah. So we were, um, up outside of, uh, Fort Collins blessing ranch. Yeah. Before they moved to Florida. And we were, um, two of the original guys. So we got seven now. We started with four. Yeah. And, OGs. Uh, you guys are the OGs. We, we, <laughs> we really are. We really yeah. are us in a, uh, a way. Uh, actually, Scott Beck and I, we're not sure he's a pastor. We actually, <laughs> we're trying to get him to love Jesus. So Prove we, it. We might, we might have to get him baptized next, uh, next trip up there. But, you know, yeah. that, that, and then Cal Jernigan was uh-huh. our, um, the guy kind of leading the front. Uh, but it's been good. Yeah. It's been really, really good. And it's, I, I would encourage not just pastors, but pastors especially, but, if you don't have a group of people around you that mm-hmm. you can just be authentically you all the time with when you're with them, I think that's the beauty is like we can get together. We know, like we know what we're all going through mm-hmm. and we're all going through very similar stuff, uh, but we can call each other on our crap. We yep. can, uh, but at the same time, man, it's just encouraging and we, we lean in and it's, uh, it's really, I, I hate to use this word because it's so buzzwordy, but um, it's really organic. It and is. It's uh it's not forced. It's it's really good. No agenda when we get together. No, I love I love that the first time we met, Cal said to us in Colorado, "This group will only be as good as you guys are willing to open up." Mm-hmm. And the first night we got, I mean, it went. We all just verbally vomited our life. <laughs> yeah. And then the next morning, I woke up. The night, Cal talks about this. I woke up the next morning and I had like buyer's remorse, like. What did I just do? <laughs> what did I say? Like, I, literally, it's yeah. like, I don't I don't really know these guys. Like, I just, like, I shared some stuff. I was like, I don't think I've shared that with anybody. And what was interesting about that night, too, is you let it off and uh, just had some stuff that you shared. You were vulnerable about it. And we were both starting. We were only months into. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think you started, like, three months before me or yeah. six months before I did. But we were months into um, what we were doing, first-time lead pastors, also just going through some stuff and both had some family things. You started off, then our buddy Scott came in. It was, it was funny. Interesting. Scott, Scott comes in. So he's, uh, uh, he's been at his church the longest. So he's been there a long time, but he was so burnt out. Oh yeah. And almost like couldn't even keep thoughts together. Just was so exhausted getting ready to go on a sabbatical. We got up the next morning. The dude did not get, I think it was like 10, 15 and we're going. He slept like 18 hours. We're like, is wow. he still alive? Wow. <laughs> and we don't know each other. We're like, what is, and uh, ended up being healing thing, great thing, and just an incredible way to start. And we've been that way ever since. Mm-hmm. It's been cool. Yeah. yeah. I think what one thing that's uniquely special about what you guys need is when you're pastoring a church, I've never done it. But when you're the lead pastor, I think a lot of people that are leading at high levels in their companies or their businesses, they're probably in a similar spot. 
that um, you, you hear the, the phrase, it's lonely at the top. Yep. And you guys would not, you would never characterize yourself that way, like I'm on the top. But I think there probably is a unique loneliness when you are the main leader. Yeah. And everyone's looking at you. You're supposed to have the vision. Yeah. You're supposed to have the answers. You're supposed to, you know, know all that stuff. And sometimes you don't. So that's probably why Scott was completely spent as he had just been leading at such a high level yeah. for so long. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's really weird because Sean told me his title here is actually top pastor. Is it, <laughs> isn't that? Isn't uh, well, <laughs> it's actually the, the specific title is best pastor. Oh, best. best. Which is awkward, I think. Actually, guys, you know what's really, you know what's really funny about saying that? Like, I can't even say that with a straight face because of our group of guys, um, like you, like those of you at Rocky, you need to know, like, we just know Sean is like he's the like kind of the voice of reason, and okay. he's the the, the <laughs> humble like he's the humble that. says like he's got this wisdom. He's like the EF Hutton of the group. Like he doesn't say a lot, but when he does, you're like, oh man, that was gold. And then you're like, man, crap, why aren't I like Sean? Like he's like so nice and loves Jesus and loves people well. And I'm over here like, man, I'm just an idiot trying not to screw this thing up. And you know, it's just like Sean has always been the guy of humility and of encouragement. Um, and wisdom. There's just always wisdom comes out of it. So like to say, I can't even say that with a straight face that he would say he's top pastor because uh, he just would never say something like that. Oh, I thought you were saying you couldn't say the wisdom thing with straight faces. Well, I can't say that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I probably ought to renege on all that. Like, <laughs> take it all back. What, what's cool about you saying that though is that's definitely consistent with what we see here too. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, we love them. Guys, I was going to ask you. I was going to feel you. like we need to hug or something. <laughs> no, it's good. We have a couple microphones, a computer and headphones in the way. We can't yeah, do that. Yeah, it's good. Get tangled up. Yeah. Um, Trevor, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about your message that you gave this past Sunday. Sure. And uh, I know this is a message that you've given before. And one question I have for you is why does this message need to be taught? Like, why is it so important? What led you to, to write it in the, in the first place? Well, I mean, I think for a long, especially in our country, you know, it, the church is a volatile place in our culture right now. Like, I, I mean, if you just look at headlines, every time you look at a headline, there's nothing positive about the church happening right now. Uh, I sh- that's a strong statement. I shouldn't say nothing. No, I it definitely know what you're but, talking but about. But it feels like it, like you've got the Hillsong thing going on right now. You've had the Willow Creek thing in the last couple of years. I mean, every time you turn around, there's like a scandal. And uh, well, even at the cabin, we're sitting there talking, and, and our buddy Chris, who's in Phoenix, um, he gets this email about there's another scandal about to break in Phoenix with another mm-hmm. church. And you're just like... Gosh, dang it. Like, and, and the problem is, is the world knows the church is a place, unfortunately, that because the whole message was where we want to be a church that drops rocks, not throws rocks. The problem is the church is, there's this nationalistic Christianity that's popped up, you know, and I shouldn't say popped up. It's been there. Yeah. <laughs> it's just come to the forefront now that um, I think we care more about our politics than we do our Jesus. And which you might have to edit that out of your podcast. I don't know, but no, that's good. Nope. Um, yeah. But <clears throat> I, I just I, a few years ago, I remember somebody during the election said, "You need to get on stage and tell people who to vote for." And I said, "Okay, first of all, that's not going to happen." Someone said that. Oh yeah. Oh, a lot of people said that to me. Oh wow. And I was like, "Yeah, first of all, that's not happening. I've got thirty-five minutes roughly to share the hope of Jesus, and I'm not going to waste an iota of my time telling somebody who to vote for. That's not my job." Mm-hmm. I said, here's what I'll do. I'll get on stage, and I, this is all I did. I said, hey, somebody asked me to tell you who to vote for. I said, I'm not going to do that. Um, vote Jesus. That's where we vote. Um, I said, but uh, here's what I'll tell you. Here's my whole political speech for the morning. Um, you have a civic duty to vote. Do that. Okay, let's talk about Jesus. Um, that person got mad, left the church. Um, and I was like, you left the church because I wouldn't talk about your political candidate. Mm-hmm. And the world knows us for throwing rocks of politics, throwing rocks of judgment, throwing rocks of hypocrisy, you know, all these things that you just fill in all the blanks. And as I watched the life of Jesus, especially in John 8 and John 4, both with women, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. which is a whole nother topic for a whole nother day. Um, that's a Jeremy Jernigan topic. Have him on to do that. But, <laughs> um, it, you know, Jesus at the, with a woman at the well and with a woman caught in the act of adultery. Um, this is what I love about, we just talked about that book, Unoffendable. Yeah. And Jesus is just not offended by people that aren't like him. In fact, he leans into them. Mm. Um, and so I love that he got in the dirt with that woman because I don't think he, he bent down in the dirt to just tick off the religious leaders, which I think he did intentionally, which I love about Jesus. Um, but I think he also got in the dirt to look that woman in the eye and go, I, I'm not here to judge or condemn. I'm here to save. And we need a we need a church in the world that's like, we're not here to condemn. We're here to save. Mm. We're just going to come alongside of you. We're not going to be offended by you, and we're going to love you. Um, and so that's what really compelled that message. I mean, that... That message was written 
I've preached that message quite a few times around the country. And it's just one that people keep coming back to going, Hey, would you come and talk to our people about that? And I'm like, I I kind of retired it. Honestly, I put it to bed after the North American. I was like, I'm not doing that again. Like, and then when you were like about, here's what we're doing here. I was like, Oh man, that fits really well. So Mm -hmm. uh, that that moment of dropping those rocks in just personalizing that is a moment. Yeah, for sure. I'll I'll tell you when we did it in Kansas city, the North American. So there's like 7,000 people in this arena. And, uh, I'm like, I, you know, you just don't, you don't know how something's going to hit on a large scale when you do it. You know, I've done it in, in our church and uh, other places, but we gave 7,000 people rocks in a stadium and, and there was bleachers and concrete cement floor and then and aluminum I, bleachers. If you actually, oh, if oh, you actually watch <laughs> the video, like you see my face, like kind of like, Holy smokes. Like, when they drop, because, you know, we have everybody drop those rocks. And when they hit the floor on those bleachers and the concrete, it was like, holy smokes. And, yeah. and again, again, that's the sound of grace. And so mm-hmm. um, if the world's really going to see the church the way that Jesus sees them, then the church has to look like Jesus for them. And we got to stop throwing rocks at people. And the, and the biggest thing I wonder about, too, is I think people have a hard time seeing sometimes even that they are throwing rocks. Oh, yeah. Completely. Well, and the problem is, is that the world watches the church throw rocks at itself. Yes. Over stupid stuff. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny to me because I, I had this epiphany a few years ago. It, well, it's not an epiphany. It's just a reality. The only people in the world that care about programs in your church are church people. Yeah. So Very when, true. When, I can always tell when somebody walks into our church for the first time they're a church person. So what kind of programs do you have for my kids? What kind of programs do you have for my 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 husband? What kind of yeah. programs do you have for women? Um, when non-Christian people walk in, it's really easy to spot them too because they come in and they're like, I just need some hope. Yeah. And so uh, the old adage, what you win people with is what you keep people with. Mm-hmm. If you win them with Jesus, that's what you get to keep them with. If you win them with all sorts of slick programming, wow. eventually they're going to keep going. Well, you got to give me feed my programming appetite because mm-hmm. uh, if you don't have the right program for me, I'll just go find another... Burger King church or let me have it my way. And you know, I'm, I'm okay with people liking their programs. Oh, me too. But what I'm not okay with is when you just want the same kind of people in your program. <laughs> right. You know, it, you, we need to have people, we need to be around people that are different than us. We need to find people. We need that program needs to be welcoming to the person who does not know Jesus. Do you, do you remember what Ben Merrill said? I, I don't know if your listeners would know Ben Merrill, but Ben Merrill is, I think he lived when Jesus lived. Um, Jesus and, and in our movement of churches, ben big is a, deal. Ben is a big deal. Yeah. Came out of retirement in his 80s and went to St. Louis and grew Harvester to a couple thousand people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'll never forget what Ben said at the North American um, a few years ago. Um, he said, um, you got to be willing to put up with things you don't like for people not like you. And he and he joked. He goes, "I'm still trying to get on board with the Gaither vocal band from back in the you know, <laughs> '80s." He was like, "I think they're a little revolutionary, you know." It, but put up with I, I've, that stuck with me for like ever since that moment that I got to be willing to put up with people not like me, or put up with things. What did I just say? Um, put up with things I don't like for people not like me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, which means when you change your musical style in your church, like I've told our church for a long time in Ohio, and and I don't have to in in Tucson because they're they're moving that needle, but. I just, I was like, here's a deal. If I find out tomorrow that Gregorian chants will lead people to Jesus, like that hits in culture. For, I hope it doesn't because that'd be really weird. But, you know, then can I tell you what we're probably going to do on Sunday morning? We're going to do some Gregorian chants. Yep. If I find out that, you know, that EDM techno music is what, I mean, is just leading people to Jesus left and right. Well, I, I got to promise you, we're going to probably have a rave on Sunday morning. Like, mm-hmm. because it's not about me. It's about people knowing Jesus. And you got to be willing to put up with things you don't like for people not like you. Mm-hmm. Which uh, that's a really long answer to your question of where that stem from, but no, that's great. It really comes out of that heartbeat of the church for so long has become this institutional idol that we worship, mm-hmm. instead of a thing that empowers us to go and help people see Jesus. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like a, the Bible college I went to, which I'll leave nameless on here, but um, I've watched people. They're shutting down their campus to do something revolutionary. They're going to go into churches and actually empower leaders in churches and train people in churches and have their students in church in communities all around the country and they're shutting down their campus. It's been there for, I don't know, a hundred years and people are losing their minds. Oh, and if I'm you, sure. if you watch the comments and I have to stay out of it cause I will say, I will be, I'll get real offensive really quickly. Um, 
but I read these comments and I'm just like, y'all are worshiping the idol of a Bible college campus instead of understanding this is going to empower more leaders for the kingdom. And the church does the same thing. So how does that develop though? Because I think often it, it's, it's something like it starts with something that's really good that yep. we love, that was important and powerful in our lives. But how does it kind of morph into this something that's unhealthy? Well, isn't that the definition of an idol? When a good thing becomes a God thing? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. when you take something that's really good and you make it your God, it's nothing different than what, oh, what is, Paul talks about it. You know, they, they took the create, they, the, they took the, the created, they begin to worship the created things. Romans one, man. Yeah. You just it, study that. Yeah. I mean, last it's, week. It, we, we take the thing instead of worshiping the creator, we worship the created. Yeah. And we do it with everything. Yeah. <laughs> we do it with everything. And we, we all do it. That's what's crazy. Like, I do it. You do it. We, we all do it. Uh, but And it's hard. you got to just keep reminding yourself on a daily basis, like, this is not about me. I think, too, that some of those things that we love, those programs, they really did a good job in past yeah. days reaching people. Yeah. But culture changes. Life changes. You know, the, the mission doesn't change, but the method does. Right. Yeah. It does. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes we idolize the method instead of the mission. Well, everything has a shelf get, life. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. We, we did in my last church, we'd, I'd started some things, right? We all do. Um, well, about five years in, there were some things I was like, I need to kill that thing. And I had, this is, these, the, these are things you started, things I started, which is really funny. So what's really funny to me is people when I was killing them, were coming to me going, we've always done that. And I'm like, no, we've had <laughs> like, Oh, we have. I've been, I've been in that the whole time I've been in this church. I'm like, no, you haven't. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how long have you been here? 20 years. I've been, I've been in that. I was like, no, you haven't. Cause I started it five years ago. And I promise you weren't in it for the last 20 years. We've not always, it's mine to kill. Mm-hmm. Like I start, it's, it's mine to kill or mine to move on. And you know, we just, we let things go from fun to effective to ineffective and then we just let them run ineffective because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings yeah it's a tough thing to get rid of yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and and i mean where else in life do you see that play out i mean uh, in the business world if they do that it kills business Mm -hmm. you know it it, you go go look at go look up the story of kodak yeah yeah you know go look up blockbuster Mm -hmm. um for those of you that are too young to know what a blockbuster video is, that's where you actually went on a Friday night to a video store and actually had to get a VHS tape or a DVD. Be kind and rewind, baby. Yeah, bro. There we go. You know, it's funny, though, because you, you take that, and uh, there the, there's a big movement over the last, what, five years about nostalgia, right? I mean, obviously, oh, yeah. nostalgia's been around forever, but um, it's, it's all these... Uh, Cobra Kai, baby. Yes, exactly. Taking all these old shows that we loved, movies that we loved, and we want to see them you know, come back. So go about, go back to Blockbuster. There was something so exciting about walking into a Blockbuster and finding, you know, you don't know what you're going to see and you can only choose from what's there and you go home. So it'd be like, no, no, I want that back. I want that feeling back. So we should bring back Blockbuster and kill Netflix. No, of course. Like that's ridiculous. That's never going to happen. Right. But it, that's a similar way that we approach some of these things that that we want to to continue that to happen at church well and the problem is if you got when you go through the glory of life or the the sorrow of life in a place whatever was happening in that moment is what you want to hold on to so there's like i was walking around your niwak campus and you guys have redone the chapel area over there which looks fantastic by the way um and and i'm sure there's people that have been married in that room Mm -hmm. and people they've had to bury in that room yeah that people are really like they're holding on to they're mourning that room is changing well, I got married in there. You can't change my room. I got married there. If you change that, then my marriage doesn't look that well. Okay, first of all, if your marriage is tied to the room you got married in, there's something wrong with that. But yeah, or I buried my my mother, my father, my child, my whoever. Their funerals in that room, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden you begin to tie these emotions to things, and we do that with a lot of stuff. I worshipped in there. Yeah, I worshipped in there. Yeah. That's where I that's where I came to know Jesus in there. That like all of these things, you know, we just gravitate, and it's humanity, right? We just we like the familiar. Uh, we like what we know, um, and it's really hard to see what we can't see, which uh, I think I read somewhere the definition of faith is, you know, being able to not see the things that you need to be able to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so um, it's tough. So let me talk about uh, your your message on Sunday a little bit. You, 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 your main points were, hey, sin leads us to shame, 
leads to stones and leads to a savior. Yeah. And and we don't need to rehash the message because people can go watch. In fact, or listen, if you if you didn't see it, you guys should go watch it. Yeah. If you just heard the the podcast or just heard, go watch it because you need to 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 see that illustration with those rocks. But let's go to your second point because you're talking about stones. Sin leads to stones. And and some of what we're talking about as far as you mentioned earlier that we throw stones at one another, but there was something that you said that I'd love for you to talk about a little bit more. And you said stones don't hit sin. They hit people. Yeah. And often when we're wanting to throw stones in judgment, we justify it saying, no, 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 no. We, we, you know, we love the sinner. We, we hate the sin. But you're saying, no, no, no. The stones don't hit the sin. No. It hits the people. Can you yeah. talk about that some more? Yeah. I mean, I, can you imagine just being somewhere and somebody throws a rock at you and hits you in the head and they're like, oh, that wasn't meant to hit you. That was meant to hit your action. <laughs> what? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Right. But we throw these, and we say these phrases sound so great, right? Love uh, love the sin or hate the sin, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's an asinine statement too. Like, let's just, let's just not put up, let's not tolerate sin, but let's, let's love people, everybody where they're at. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, you know, we th- we're so quick to throw rocks and, you know, I'm, I'm in Tucson, Arizona now. It's the 12th largest unchurched city in America. It's the 11th largest de-churched city in America. Mm. What's de-churched mean? So de-churched is people that once were a part of the church and got, got hit with a rock and decided not to come back. Um, and so it's really interesting because when I encounter people um, in Tucson, they're not adverse to the gospel. They're not mad about the God. They actually love Jesus, most of them, um, love the idea of Jesus, even the non-Christians. They're like, it's really funny. I took Glenn, uh, the guy that I'm succeeding to a tattoo shop for a promo video, which is a whole nother <laughs> hilarious. If you know Glenn, that's even funnier. Um, but I went in and the guy, not a Christian, in the tattoo shop, moved from Alaska. Um, and so he finally asks, we're filming a video and we're just telling him, hey, we're going to walk in and out of your tattoo shop if that's cool. And uh, he goes, and I was like, and I'm looking for a tattoo artist when I come to town. And and he goes, so what do you do? And I tell him, and he, it's just hilarious because he he drops the F-bomb. He's like, oh, effing awesome, you know? And I was mm-hmm. like, and Glenn's like, well, that that turned quick. And uh, <laughs> But I'm just like, why would he know any better, first of all? But he thought that was cool that we showed up. Yeah. And what was cool for him is we showed up there. And, and the world sees us. It, you may be thinking, well, I don't throw rocks at people. Uh, I'm, I'm throwing rocks at sin, not people. Well, that's not true because you're not even willing to show up where they are to help them find Jesus. Mm-hmm. So you're you're throwing a rock at them. And most people that don't want to come to church have been hit by the rock of judgment of the church. Absolutely. Um, and honestly, it's more, it's usually not the world. It's usually people that used to be a part of the church. Yeah. So Trevor, when you're telling that story when we were with our guys, I think it was that story or it was another one. And that's what I love about you is you have a ton of stories of unchurched or de-churched people that you just connect with. Yeah, I don't do well with church people. <laughs> and that guy, <laughs> I think you got the end of that story. Was it that guy that said, hey, could I come? Oh, yeah. Well, I've had that question so many times. Could I come to your church? Well, first of all, you don't have to ask permission. Like, I, yeah. yeah, absolutely. You can come to my church. Same thing. We had a girl at Dutch Brothers, which I'm... Dutch Brothers is a thing in my world now. We don't have that in the Dutch Midwest. Dutch Brothers is awesome. Yeah, yeah. well, the Northwest, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Northwest. Yeah, yeah. So, I, hey, listen, but just so you know, I, I listened to Bake the Cake, man. I remember <laughs> I remember back in the day where y'all were trying to get sponsored by Dutch Brothers on you, that podcast. You're, you're like one of two people. <laughs> hey, bro. <laughs> listen to that podcast. I'm just saying, man, I'm the OG on Bake the Cake. Okay, I, I've, okay. heard, I've heard all the, all the episodes. Gotcha. Um, no but, offense, Matt. Uh, yeah, none. Uh, none. Um, take complete offense. I don't care. Um, but there was a, so I took my family Thanksgiving when we got the job, went out there, spent a, spent a weekend. I went to the same Dutch Brothers every morning at 5 a.m. because we're three hours different. So we're just like, I, I don't know where I'm at half the time. And uh, same girl at Dutch Brothers, first two mornings. Saturday morning, I roll up Dutch Brothers. She finally, I, I asked her if she was from there. We start talking, chit chat while they're making my drink, my six shot Americano to basically crack in a cup. And she uh, <laughs> finally, she just said, what are you doing here? And I was like, actually, I'm the new pastor at Pantano Christian Church over on uh, on the east side over here. And she was like, oh, I've heard of that church. And I was like, have you ever have you ever been? And she goes, no, nah, I had a friend that went there. And she goes, I've never been in church in my life. She's 22. I said, what do you mean you've never been in church in your life? She goes, I've never been to a church in my life. I was like, wedding, funeral? She goes, oh, maybe once for that. She goes, but I've never been in a church. And I just went, never. She goes, no. And I asked her this. I said, why have you never gone? And I thought her answer was so telling. She goes, she sat there for a minute. She thought, and she goes, hmm. she goes, I guess nobody's ever asked me. And so I just looked at her and went, okay, I'll ask you, will you come? She was like, when is it? I was like, typically it's on Sunday and um, here's our times. And she was like, 
She goes, so do I need to do anything special? Do I need to bring anything? I was like, nope, just come. She goes, okay. Like, it was that simple. Like, it's that like, we complicate this thing called evangelism. Like, you got to know the five steps and the Roman road. And if you don't know how to tell people on your hand the, the different fingers of faith and blah, blah, blah. Okay, or here's an idea. Why don't we just find common ground with people, have a conversation, mm-hmm. and, and earn the right to invite? Okay, yeah. so let's talk about that finding common ground because I think a lot of people, if they grew up in the church, we heard, I'll just speak for myself. I heard a lot about you don't want to find any common ground because we need to be different. We need to be set apart. We need to be godly. Yeah. In the world, righteous. but not of the world. Yes. All that stuff, yeah. So well, the idea. On a Christian t shirt. the idea of finding common ground can seem counterintuitive, you know? So what is that balance point where it's, uh, you, you can, you can find that commonality, but you're still living with that sense of Jesus is, is guiding me and I'm choosing God's ways. Well, all Jesus did was find common ground. I mean, that's literally what Jesus did in every interaction. That's why the religious leaders are so ticked with Jesus all the time. You don't get accused of being a glutton and a drunk because you're not hanging out with gluttons and drunks. Yeah. You know, and so for me, common ground is really simple. Like my wife, I'm pretty sure it's a compliment. I keep telling myself it is, but she's like, you don't know a lot about one thing, but you know, like a little about a lot. So I can just talk with anybody. So going up to the cabin this last week at Cal's place, we stop at Bash's Groceries. I don't know if you have Bash's in Colorado. We don't. um, But Bash's is like Kroger. King Super. There you go. Okay, King Super. I don't don't know what that is. That sounds like a used car salesman or something. (laughs) (laughs) Or Mattress King or something like that. Um, But we're at Bash's Grocery Store. We stop at the same one in Payson, Arizona all the time. So Jeremy Jeremy Jernig and I go up early. We go back to the meat section because we're like, we got to eat dinner tonight. They had $7 bacon wrap fillets. We're like, goodness. Yeah, well, seven bucks, I'm in. Like, I... Even that, that sounds a little suspect, though. How long are those sitting on? I don't care, man. I don't care. I can cook the crap out of those. You know what I mean? Um, and so the guy behind the counter has this, like, um, Led Zeppelin tattoo on his arm. So I just was like, I was like, bro, you like Led Zeppelin? And he goes, something to, the, no, no, this Pearl Jam. <laughs> and I, and I, he was, then grinned. And then I stood there and talked to this guy for, like, five minutes about his tattoo. Um, had I had ten more minutes, I'd have just started to dive in. And then we go to the front counter and... I put something on the on the conveyor belt, and the guy goes, "Oh, I was just in Texas. My brother had some of this at his house, and man, it was fantastic." And what do you? And so, I mean, I'm always just looking for those little moments. You have them every day. Mm-hmm. You have them with a barista, with a cashier, with a coworker, uh, uh, filling up. Like that's why I hate. That, that's a strong word. That's why I dislike working in a church. Sometimes is because I'm around church people all day. Yeah. So I get I have to get out of my office and go somewhere else. Like I'll I'll go work at a coffee shop. I'll go somewhere where there's people that I know are far from God. Yeah. Because if my mission is really that, I've got, like, I got to do work at the church. I got to be around Christians. But if we really empower Christians well, then finding common ground should be the easiest thing you do all day. Because it's your story connecting to somebody else's story. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you can't find common ground with somebody, then get around some people you can find some common ground with. I'm guessing, like, I know, Sean, you you coach basketball. You eat mm-hmm. sleep basketball. Your daughter yeah. plays basketball. No. <laughs> but he really loves football. Just kidding. <laughs> um, it, you know, I know if Sean walks into an environment where somebody doesn't know Jesus but knows basketball, he's got a connecting point. Yeah. You know, I walked in this room with you today, podcast. Like, creative world is my world. So I did music for a few years, and um, I love anything creative. I do I have photography business on the side, and I love doing video and all sorts of that stuff. So when I walked in this room today – even if we didn't have connection with each other, I was already able to make connection with you right away. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about the board you're using that I yep. had the exact same one at my house. Yep. And I'm looking at these guitars and I'm looking at your your studio setup. And it's like, I'm, I'm already thinking, how can I, and this isn't even for you to know Jesus, because I'm sure you probably already do, unless Sean's trying to get you to know Jesus. Most then, of the way. We're getting that. Uh, it's his ministry. It, <laughs> yeah, it, it might be. Uh, but my first thought when I walk in any room is, how can I connect with you on a, on a common level? Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to prove anything. I just want to connect with you. So how do I connect right away? I'm like, hey, you're using that board. I got that board. Hey, isn't that cool? How do you use it? Are you? Mm-hmm. Doing- we do that every day in just conversation, just right. relationally. So why wouldn't we do that with the gospel? But see, I think maybe sometimes we don't think that that's spiritual enough. Well, that's you know? a, but that's a compartmentalization, right? Dude, you go to scripture, book of John. Jesus' invitation was come and see. Just come hang out. Yeah. And then it was come and eat a meal. And then it was. Come and sit down and have a drink. Let's have a coffee. Let's get a drink. Let's mm-hmm. let's chat. He did it three yeah. different times. There's multiple instances of those same three invitations throughout the book of John. Mm-hmm. Common ground, 
hang out with we him. We just we overcomplicate the gospel so much. Yeah. If it's not if we're not taught how to do it, if we're not programmed how to do it, uh, we can't we can't figure out how to do it. And, and I'm, people all the time are like, well, I'm just not good. I'm not good at talking. Yeah, that, that's for other people. We immediately yeah. are like, no, no, that's for other people. Right. That's not my gift. Right. It's it wasn't actually about being gifted. Never in scripture, it, none, of, none of the That's huge. giftings, and like when you look at the gifts of what God has given us in, in the Pauline epistles, right? Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, you look what he says about the gifts of the church. None of those are those that are good with evangelism. Mm-hmm. There's people that are good at teaching and prophecy and um, you know, it, but encouragement, but evangelism was not a gift. Evangelism was a, like a command. Like the great, like the great commission, Matthew 28 this is something I, I just infused into our church is the Great Commission says, go and make, not sit and take. And we've become these sitters and takers of church. We spiritually consume and we get spiritually fat and we never exercise our faith. So the only way that people know Jesus is if you actually exercise your faith, you have to go and do something. Go and make, not sit and take. So if if I ask you the question, how many people are you influencing for the gospel in your life? And you're like, well, probably none. Then you haven't exercised what God's told you to exercise. And it may sound harsh, but it's like, get off your butt and go do something. And usually we have the connections already. Yeah, yeah. You, but Most that's the people problem. Do. But the problem is, is that we overcomplicate the connection. Man, I, you know, my wife, uh, the basketball thing is a big deal for us. Not just me, but for her. She's got her club teams, and I've watched her just through relationship and connection, being kind. Yeah, being a person of integrity, doing things well, being excellent at what she does, and people start asking questions. And that's the interesting thing about what we'll talk about the week after, you know, next week is uh, Jesus' invitation just to come and see. We do complicate it where we do have to, we think we've got to know everything. It's more like, hey, just come see what God's done for me. Or let me tell you what God's done in this situation for me. I got to tell you like the coolest story of this in my life and it's messy. Um, But my, my, my daughters, I got two daughters and one's 17, about to turn 18 and a uh, senior in high school, my other's 15, she's a freshman. And uh, so we had homecoming a couple months ago. And uh, my girls, like, I, I don't know how you, your philosophy, I think I know your philosophy of life and ministry with your family, but people have always told me, oh, you ought to put your kids in Christian school. And I'm like, yeah, that's great for you. Like, I don't, not knocking Christian school, that's awesome. Um, but I think if you put all the light in one place, how do you reach the darkness? So I, I send my kid, like, going to Tucson, people are like, don't put your kid here. There's a lot of liberalism. I'm like, that's a perfect place for my kid. Like, bring some light. So, homecoming, my oldest daughter says, can I invite some friends over after homecoming? I'm like, I'd rather have them at my house than you at there. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So, when I tell you, like, this sounds like I'm setting up a bad joke, but I'm about to tell you. So, the real, like, so she's got a Muslim friend named Kamola. We love Kamola. She's like family to us um, from uh, Kazakhstan. Her family came from Kazakhstan. And um, so she's a, a I got to be careful how I say this because if somehow her parents were ever here, I don't care. <laughs> um, so she's dating a Christian guy from Indianapolis that her parents don't know about. So she, she brings him to our house. My wife buys her makeup for the first time, does her makeup in our living room for homecoming. She comes over and spends all day. Um, so fast forward, end of homecoming, the first couple that shows up to our house, Kamola and her boyfriend. So I've got a Muslim girl and her, and her Christian boyfriend sitting on my couch with her makeup on that my wife did for the very first time in her life. Um, then the doorbell rings. My mom and dad are in town, by the way, which makes us even funnier if, if you know my mom and dad, uh, which you don't. So uh, I go so it's to... It's not as funny. I, I go, it is kind of funny, though, because my dad's 78, and he's just a 78-year-old. You just picture any 78-year-old. East Coast guy. East Coast guy, 101st Airborne Division, Vietnam, like, um, but loves Jesus, incredible man. Uh, so... I open the door, the doorbell rings. All these kids know what I do. They know what we're about. And so, and they're at my house. So there's, there's a gay couple that are there together, two boys. There's two of the dorkiest, weirdest kids you've ever seen in your life um, that are right there next to them. There's a kid that's about as tall as you, Sean, that is a, he's not gay, but he's in a dress um, in, in heels. And he's, mm-hmm. and he's already like 6'3". <laughs> um, and so the kid is like, ducking to get into my house in his Six, dress. five and a half. Uh, the, yeah. The and, and he's got his per like dr- full cross dress. Um, then my, my daughter's boyfriend and, um, and then like another girl. And I literally opened the door and I'm like, this feels like the start of a bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like every single person in that room should be incredibly uncomfortable. Right. That's what it seems like. And, and honestly, it, I, 
I probably should have been the most uncomfortable and I was the, probably the least uncomfortable. So I knew the minute I opened the door, I'm like, my reaction will determine how they see Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I know too many Christians that would be like, you're not coming to my house. Right. You're not hanging out with my kid. Mm-hmm. It's too different. And I'm on the other side going, how I respond to them right now, unoffendable, yep. will determine how they see my Jesus. So if I give them a judgmental rock-throwing Jesus, then that's going to be their perception of the church. I've got one shot for them to see Jesus. So what I do, I open the door. I'm like, hey, I'm so glad you guys are here. Come on in. Hey, there's food on the counter. We bought pizzas. My wife made a bunch of desserts. Um, the, over, like, I didn't bat an eyelash. Mm-hmm. They come in. So I go, I go sit in the chair. My my dad can't really see that well from far distance. So he's sitting there, and he he has no idea what's going on. And uh, these He kids, doesn't know that anyone is different from one another. <laughs> no, 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 no. He has no. He has no clue. And so he sees the kid in the dress, and my dad looks at me, or looks at my mom. They're sitting in the chair together. And he goes, man, that is a tall girl. And my mom's like, Jim, I think that's a guy. And he looked at me, and he goes, well, I'm going to bed. I'll see you in the morning. And like, he just kind of got up. But to his credit, like, he didn't, we talked the next morning. He was like, you know what I love is that they know what you're about. They know what your family's about. And they felt the most comfortable being here. Mm-hmm. And if we can make people understand that they can be the most comfortable being with Jesus, they we weren't condoning their lifestyle. We were, because they knew, like I told Ella, my oldest daughter, I was like, hey, listen, I'm go-, they were there in my house till like two in the morning. And I'm like, I'm not staying up till two in the morning. That's, mm-hmm. I'm too old for that crap. So. Right. Uh, at like at like twelve thirty, I'm like I'm out. I'm going to bed. But I told Ella, my daughter, I said, "Hey, nobody inappropriate stuff. If it is, uh, I don't care if you're gay, you're straight, you're cross dressing, you're what. Like I'm not letting that happen in my house, no matter what. But we're not going down that road. They watched movies, hung out. It was great. They left. Um, and I told I told my wife, I said, we may be the only Jesus they're ever going to get to encounter. Yeah. And at some point, I hope that. When some judgmental Christian throws a rock at them, they'll go back and go, but remember that pastor's house we went to that time? Yeah. Um, and it earns a right to begin to have these conversations. So Kamola, my daughter's Muslim friend, um, sends her a message last week. And she, so I'm on, I've jumped into TikTok, which is really weird at a, as a 43-year-old. I feel like there's something wrong with that. <laughs> but but it's where people are. So I'm trying to reach people where they are. You hear that, Sean? Um, yeah, yeah, I did. Okay, you're getting on. Okay, you're getting on TikTok <laughs> yeah. later. I would pay money to see Sean on <laughs> TikTok. It. I mean, just I'm just make it happen. You could like, yeah. you could have subscriptions to that. I promise. <laughs> um, but her her Muslim friend Kamola, I'm pretty sure we're going to baptize her. Um, and I'm pretty sure my daughter's going to get to do it. She was like, I've been watching all your stuff your dad posts on social media. She was like, and I know I'm not a Christian, and I know I don't have the same belief system you do. She goes, but every day I'm paying attention. And I, Ella just keeps going, Dad, I think she's going to love Jesus. And I'm like, I think she does. But she wouldn't have found that had I... Right. She wouldn't have been paying attention. Had I thrown the rock of politics at her, Yeah. which, yeah. you know, our Cal, Cal, Cal's church, Central and Phoenix, they did that, love your neighbor, love your Muslim refugee neighbor, and they lost 1,000 people at their church. What? 1,000 people walked away because he was talking about the gospel of Jesus, loving your neighbor that's not like you. And when you politicize your Jesus, it's really hard to love people not like you. Yeah, very true, very true. I it's pretty cool. You know, Trevor, I've always seen you be that way. If anybody can be around you, have a conversation with you, feel comfortable, and feel cared for with you. It's neat to see that flowing through your daughter. And I, I think one thing for parents is just the encouragement that you can't just let. Like we as a church, we will do everything we can to teach every age group the same thing you're teaching your church but it's not enough no and if parents do not have those conversations our kids will not or if parents aren't even leaning into their own selves to be saying man i've got to have places where um i'm connecting with and bumping into people that are different than me um i gotta find common ground i've got to learn if they're not doing that themselves their kids are going to reflect what their parents are well it's what's caught not what's taught yeah mm-hmm. And then you got to have coaching conversations constantly. And, you know, we had, everybody knows our story of our kid just graduated at semester and went eight months early um, to college. That didn't destroy you at all, did it? Uh, it's, <laughs> it? You know, I've been so thankful just how God's protected and cared. Yeah. But, dude, it did a bit. And you also have the conversation with your wife going, I hope they're ready. And not just ready to handle the pressure of college, but hope, hope they're ready to go and be influential. In life. Yeah. And it has been fun to see same kind of stories in maybe different venues. You know, she's, she's an athlete. I know your daughter's majorly into uh, theater and movies and didn't she just get a 
That's my, young, that's my youngest. Got a, just yeah. got a part in a, yeah. And my oldest is into theater and golf and music. And Yeah, she's a phenomenal go- golfer. She's a and great yeah. golfer. Anybody wants your money taken, call me. She'll take it. <laughs> but it's fun <laughs> to see them in their places. Yeah. Connecting with all kinds of different people. People of faith, people not of faith. People of different values, different beliefs, different. But loving the same. And people saying, hey, why is that? That's pretty well, cool. Just so you know, it's not your student ministry or your children's ministry's responsibility to teach your kids how to love Jesus and to evangelize. It's yours. So, you know, my my kids, they always wanted to come to big church. That's what we called it, big church, right? Mm-hmm. Which is funny to me. Big church, little church, whatever. Um, and I, our youth guys used to get so mad at me. They're like, you need to make your kids come because they're influent. I said, well, first of all, if your programs didn't suck so bad, they'd probably come. So there's that. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, you may have to edit that out. Sorry. Um but I did. I was like, if your programs are better, my kids would probably come because you're putting all the church kids in one room and it's not real conducive for non-Christian kids. That's the first thing. So secondly, your my responsibility is raise my kids up spiritually, not you. I You get them for two hours a week. I get them a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do the math, you're the most influential person in your kid's life because you, you have the most time with them. Mm-hmm. Should, if you don't, reprioritize your life. Um, but they are going to get what, what you give them. Yeah. And so we have these conversations since they were little. Like I remember dropping Ella off at preschool before I had a say. She was two. And I, I've said to her almost every day, and now I don't drop them off at school anymore, which that's a whole other morning of life that when you realize there was a last day that you took your kids to school. <laughs> um, but I used every time before they got out of the car, I'm like, I would, she could almost repeat it now. I'd say, who, who do we represent? She'd go, Jesus and the DeVage family. And I go, okay, and what does that mean? She goes, don't bring shame to either one of those names. Great, get out of the car, go to school. So since she was two, it was, we represent Jesus, we represent the DeVage family, don't bring shame to either one of those names today. How do you not bring shame? You you don't bring shame by helping people see the love of Christ through the way you live your life. Yeah. Um, and I've been doing that since they were little. Um, and to the point, you know, they roll their eyes and all that kind of stuff now. But now I hear them regurgitating those things and living those things out. But I know you too. Somebody could hear that. And I totally get where you're going. Somebody could hear that and challenge it and, and take that to a legalistic side. Oh, sure. You, you've you never lived that legalistically with your family. That's always been relationally. Yeah. It showed up in your churches. It showed up yeah. in your family. I think that's a big deal. And it's showing up in your kids. We always attract the stray dogs of life. That's what we say. Hmm. Like we we don't have the like the pedigreed dogs. They don't show up at our house. Hmm. The, the stray dogs of life show up at our house. So it, it's, again, it's six foot three cross-dressing dudes and gay high school <laughs> couples and the people that their marriage is just a mess falling apart. All of our neighbors around us, like my neighbor across the street, Dave, he's, I'm going to miss him so much. Um, he's from Juarez, Mexico, business guy with Johnson and Johnson. And, um, he's Catholic. Um, and, but he comes to my house all the time. Like I need advice. Can you pray for my boys? Can you hang out with my family? Um, we eat the best tacos on the planet on his back porch. And, um, it, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, we're, we're going to just live out the gospel in front of people. We're not going to tell them that we love the gospel. We're not going to, like my neighbor at the corner, this is so funny to me. Th- this is the picture for me. My neighbor at the corner, former neighbor at the corner, they moved, but I'll never forget. He would not wave at us for a year. <laughs> I mean, we live on a private drive. I've got to drive by the dude's house every day and he has to see me. If I was driving down and you see us coming, there's no way you can't see somebody coming up our street. If you live in that house and he'd be out in his yard and I literally, he'd be looking at me and he'd put his head down. (laughs) So fast forward to the first Christmas that they're there. He comes down to our house, rings the doorbell and, uh, or I guess it was, it was in a couple of weeks before Christmas. He rings the doorbell and he's got cookies in his hand and an invite for their church. Oh no. And he, and he goes, Hey, uh, we just, we'd love to invite you to Christmas Eve at our church and here's some cookies. And, um, I said, I'm not coming. And he was like real taken back. He was like, like didn't know what to do. I was like, I was like, I'm not coming. He was like, why? Can I ask why? I was like, Yeah, you haven't waved at me in a year. And he looked at me and he was like, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I said, No, that's not why I'm coming. I said, Actually, I'm not coming because I'm a pastor at a church. And if you'd actually taken the time to get to know your neighbor, you would know that I don't need these cookies. See, that's the nature of Christianity, though, mm-hmm. is that he spent a year avoiding me, not knowing anything about me. And then he wants to walk up to my door and hand me some cookies and invite me to church. I'm like, great gesture. And maybe he just found Jesus. But as I dug in deeper, he's been at that church for 10 years and Mm -hmm. been a Christian for at least that long, if not longer. 
and he thought a plate of cookies and an invite card without getting to know me was going to yeah. draw me into his church when you've not waved at me one time and I watch you put your head down when I drive by you. Okay, question for you then. I totally agree, but I guarantee you there's a ton of people listening yeah. that are going, oh, crap. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> uh, yeah. I can't make an invite. Sean's going to tell me for Easter. Yeah. I'm going to bring cookies, but I've never interacted with them. What do you do? Well, you got to earn the right for the invite. Mm. I, I just, I believe, you You can cold call people all you want, and I think that works maybe almost never. Yeah. You got to earn the right for an invite in this culture today. It's not mm. like it used to be where you go knock on door, cold call doors, invite people to church, and they're going to show up. That just ain't going to happen. If you don't earn the right for the invite, um, I, I, told, I told our church in Ohio, I'm like, we, we had a strategy, pray, invite, engage, pray for one, invite one, engage yeah. one. Um, and the, I, people are always like, oh, so you want us to invite people to church? I was like, not first. I, don't, I, I told our whole church, don't invite people to church. Invite them into your life. Earn the right to invite them to church. You have no right to invite them to church because um, you have not earned the right in their life. And, and, I, and that sounds very like pushes against what we're trying to do in the church. Um, but the reality is we're in a culture right now. They need to know that you authentically love them because if you don't authentically love them outside the church, all they know of the church is the judgmental, hypocritical, throwing rocks church in our culture, or the church that is going to have a scandal with their pastor. There's going to be, the church is no different than the world they're living in because pastors are blowing up every day on social media and their lives are being obliterated and they're not living any differently than they are. So it's like, why would I come to your church? Your pastor's probably having an affair. Your pastor's probably abusing people or somebody. Like, that's the mentality. And we we don't want to talk about that in the church because that's not comfortable, you know. And we had this, the whole deconstruction conversation, you know. Um, and a, you guys know Jeremy Jernigan here. Your people would know Jeremy. So, yeah, Jeremy spoke here a couple times. He's in our group. He's in our group. And yeah. I told Jeremy, I, uh, Jeremy's gone through kind of a, a, a deconstruction, but I want to preface that. I, I called him the reconstructionist because he's deconstructing what the church has become. And I think he's actually going to help reconstruct a voice in the church that's actually more authentic to the gospel. And it needs to happen. So um, for people not aware of that conversation, you kind of said yeah. it, but just explain the deconstruction thing. Yeah, well, there's a whole there's a whole generation of people right now that are, I, I think deconstruction, we've made it a, a villainized word in the church. I actually think it's probably the healthiest thing we can do in some regards is, deconstructing all of the all the chaff that we've put on faith, all these man-made rules, all these weird things that aren't really biblical but we've claimed are biblical, and then let's reconstruct what the actual, like the deconstruct and walk away and go all things in the church is bad, I, I think that's a, that's a bad move. Um, I think if you're going to say, hey, I'm walking away from this because this is not the gospel, I, I don't necessarily disagree as long as you're reconstructing what the gospel actually looks like. Don't reconstruct something that's just another system that we're going to have to deconstruct in 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Reconstruct based off the gospel of Jesus. And uh, that's why I think simpli- simplifying the gospel, Jesus simplif- the, the gospel's simple. We talked about this in the car the mm-hmm. other day. The gospel's simple. We are the ones that complicate it. We add all these layers to the gospel and the good news. Jesus didn't add layers. Jesus said, come to me. My, my, my yoke is easy. Like, give, give your burdens to me. I, I got you. You just go help people see the hope of me. And, you know, you got you to gotta call sin sin, but you got to love people through that. You can't just throw a rock at them and go, love Jesus. Well, <laughs> bullhorn guy doesn't have a really good, like, I just don't know many people are like, you know what? I was at this ba- baseball game. This guy was on the corner saying, turn or burn, and it was really weird. I, I turned. I've, I've never heard that. I've, I've, maybe one person in my life, I've heard that mm-hmm. testimony. Uh, you know, but if we're going to reconstruct something, reconstruct the gospel of Jesus and all of its authenticity, and we're human, so we're going to screw it up from time to time. Um, but I just, I really believe if we're going to get at the heart of reaching people, you've got to earn the right in this culture to invite them into something. Yeah. And so invite them into your living room. Go, invite, go to their businesses. Like, go where they are. Do, do life where they are. Don't expect them to come to you. Go to them. Mm-hmm. You know, Sean, one thing I've, I've heard you talk about is we already have those opportunities. We already have those environments. And I, I totally agree with you, Trevor, that we need to invite them in our living room. Uh, but I think sometimes it starts on the sideline of the soccer field. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think we still overcomplicate it because it's like, oh, man, I don't know if they would ever even. That'd be weird if I said you guys should come over for dinner. Well, maybe that's not why you need to start anyway. No. It's you already have 
a commonality. I see you every day at soccer practice. Yes. Yeah. Well, my daughter plays golf, my oldest, and um, like that's a whole nother morning of like I've been at every golf match in the last eight, or last seven years of her playing in school. Um, I drove the bus for them. <laughs> uh, we used our church vehicle. It was perfect. It was like the swagger wagon, man. It was seats 30 people and it had storage in the back for clubs oh and so goodness. we were rolling up we we got magnetic signs made for them to put on our church bus so every time we pulled up to an event people were like oh it's it's the king's girls golf team i guess you know um, <laughs> and they were dominant i mean they dominated for four years um but our our jv coach's daughter went to clemson on a full ride now she's on the um women's european tour right now and then his other daughter played with ella three of the four years Chuck is like the most offensive, crass individual you ever meet. This is the coach, JV coach. JV coach. Um, I mean, j- I mean, phenomenal coach. Phenomenal with our girls. Um, played on the ATP, uh, APT, ATP tennis tour, ATP. Um, but he's just he's an offensive dude, and he knows it, and he tries to be. And so I, he tried the first two years. I I tell people, Chuck and I didn't like each other first two years, um, and I wasn't offended by him, but. What ticked me off is he was always just trying to offend me to see if he could offend me. So my goal was to never be offended by Chuck. So he, I mean, he'd say stuff. I'm like, bro, you just can't, what? You can't say stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he'd just keep pushing. He kept, And so I just started cracking jokes at him. Well, now Chuck's become one of my best friends. And uh, Chuck is like, I have more spiritual conversations with Chuck than I do almost anybody. And it started walking around on a golf course with him, him saying some of the most crass things. I, and I'm, you know me, Sean, like I... I'm not real easily offended by anything. <laughs> I mean, you there. I can tolerate a lot. Yeah. Um, and there were moments I'm just like, like I'm cringing inside. Like that's even a line I wouldn't cross. And I, I, I can cross lines sometimes. I just know that about myself. Um, but I just kept loving on Chuck through that. And then he called me when he had some issues with his daughter. And then we were talking. We found a commonality. He was having some issues with another coach. And. So we talked through some of that, and all of a sudden we start having lunch together, and now he's helping my daughter try to figure out golf in college, and he loves my daughter and is very honest with my daughter. And um, if I needed anything right now, Chuck would be the first person I'd call. Hmm. He didn't go to my church. And if I was still in Cincinnati, I think he would. Like we were right there, Mm -hmm. and I think he would. Um, But Chuck and I met on a golf course, walking around watching our daughters play golf. Chuck's never been in my living room. I've never been in his. I've hit golf balls in his backyard at TPC on purpose. Like, he lives <laughs> off the 15th hole, and I tried to just shell his house anytime I'm there. <laughs> um, but I, we have spent so much time together in environments that we're naturally in together. Mm-hmm. So when I say earn the right to invite, like, I've, I didn't invite Chuck into anything gospel-centered for the first year that we had relationship. Yeah, I've, it's got to be relational. Yeah. People got to trust you. There's got to be some trust built. I think there's a lot of people that will take way too much time, though. Yeah, yeah I, I want to ask you guys about that. I know we're 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 coming up on time, and you guys um, have things you got to do. But I have a question about that specific yeah. thing you're saying, Sean. Yep. Um, I remember. So I went to a, a, a really big Christian university, and in that town, for people that were not would not profess to be believers, or whatever, it, it was we offended them all the time, right? Just if you if they knew you went to this school, it was like, oh my gosh, I know exactly what this guy's about. So I said I worked at a country club uh, restaurant with the, this this one guy, and I was like, I am not going to be the stereotype. I'm not going to judge and 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 all that kind of stuff. And I was just really really kind, and it wasn't like I was being inauthentic. I was just being you know a, a good person to him. And he would try to get into debates and talk, try to talk faith in a way of like I'm going to prove. Christianity wrong and all this kind of stuff. And I just didn't bite on it. My whole goal was I wanted him to see me as a good guy. Here's a Christian that's actually enjoyable to be around. However, at some point I left the restaurant, you know, wasn't going to work there forever. And I never talked about faith with him. I never turned that corner. And I regret that. Mm-hmm. So I think that 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 times like you were saying, Sean, people will build relationally and they just never go there. That's what I that's what I did. That's what I have done. What would you guys say to help us kind of make that turn to where it's not like you have to avoid talking about God at all costs because that's the direction I went. 
in order to be relational? How do you make it to where it's it's normal? How do you make it to where it's like a blended natural thing? Because God's important to us. Mm-hmm. Jesus is important to us. How do we have that? How do we make that turn to talk about Jesus? I agree. You got to build relationships. You got to build trust. But Trevor, you said something about this guy who was um, the golf coach. He There were moments where something happened in his life and you approached the subject. Mm-hmm. Like you leaned in. You, like you weren't, like so many times what we're, we're about how my, how are they feeling about me in this relational conversation or what can I get out of them in this relational conversation? And I think there's got to be something where we are on a mission here. Like we are, everyone is created by God and needs God and sin does separate us. So there's something in there that we've got to bring people back to that. And so I think that is where I've noticed with people will talk around here and they'll laugh and they'll make jokes about the basketball thing. And then, Sean, you shouldn't tell somebody basketball. Dude, that is an intentional thing for us. My family, it is something we're good at. It's something we've done forever. And it is a whole nother group of people for us to connect with. And we've created avenues where those conversations are just going to come up. I'm obviously a pastor, so I'm going to approach it. That one lady that, man, we love dearly, um, her marriage fell apart in the midst of our kids playing ball together and her kids being coached by Jen. And so what do we do in that moment? You just come in and you love and you care. You care about her. You care about the kids. And then in moments you're like, dude, you know what? Here's some things we've learned. And here's and over time, we led that conversation too. And we had the opportunity to baptize her here oh, and see cool. her come to Christ. Um, I've seen her get remarried. I've seen an incredible family building. Um, just incredible stuff. But mm-hmm. that doesn't happen if you just lean in and just try to be good people. So it's like, hey, we just love you. Again, well, it's intentionality. We've got to be intentional yeah. about what will actually change lives. And uh, and it takes time. you got to earn the right to invite. you got to earn the trust. Yeah, and but you, you got to go there. You just said something, though, that, and I, I know what you mean, so I, I get it, but you said because you're a pastor, like people, like, there's a, people know, right? Yeah. Um, what I found the most intriguing in my own story in the last year is there was a stretch of my life in the last seven months, there was like three months where I was no longer a quote unquote pastor. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was not at a church and I actually found that my intentionality was way easier mm-hmm. not being a pastor than as a pastor, because as a pastor, the expectation is, well, he's a pastor. He's going to have this conversation with me. Um, when people were asking me, what do I do? Which was really interesting when I didn't like, that's not what I do. Um, I was like, ah, at that time I was like, oh, I'm a speaker and traveling and consulting. And, uh, and then they started asking what that looks like and all that. But it's like, all of a sudden my intentionality was no longer, people didn't expect me to share the gospel with them because yeah. I'm a pastor. But once they begin to hear me talk about life and just finding that common ground, like I think I'm always, and I, I've learned that not everybody's wired this way. Right. But it's not about wiring. It, then rewire the the house. Like you might have knob and tube wiring in your system. You need to put some new wiring in the house. Um, but the reality is we're all called to evangelize. And in lifestyle evangelism, I still think is the number one tool, but you can't just, you can't just be a good person and hope they catch it. Right, like right. for me, I'm always looking for the, there's the moment. Mm-hmm. And it, and it may be something as simple as my friend that his daughter's going through hell on earth. And I just go, hey man, how can, I'm going to pray in the morning. How can I pray about your daughter? You know, oh, or I've got a buddy. Every time we go to dinner and there, we have a server, he'll come over and go, hey, we're going to pray in a few minutes for our dinner. Is there anything we can pray about for you? Mm. In the, you know what's funny? I've been with him 20 times at dinner. There's not been a single time where somebody's going, no, I'm good. Every time someone's like, oh, I'm not really the praying type, but, and they rattle off something they need prayer for. And there's been even a couple of times where it's like, if you'd be willing, we're going to pray when you, when you come back. You want to sit down and we'll pray for you? And there's been a couple of people take that up. Like, we just don't, like, just, you got to think of the intentionality of everyday moments. Mm-hmm. So there's a moment somewhere that's going to pop up that God's going to give you the exact moment that you can infiltrate their life with the gospel of Jesus. Yeah. And you, but you got to pay, you got to be ready. Always be prepared to give an answer. Like, I just read that this morning, again, in scripture, like always be prepared to give an answer. Well, people are like, oh, I don't know the Roman road. Oh, okay, great. I Honestly, I'm a pastor. I really don't either. Um, <laughs> but here's what I do know. I know yeah. my own story, and I know how it connects to Jesus, yeah. how it connects to the gospel, yeah. how it's changed my life, and how it can change yours. And if it's really changed me, then I can't help but find a way to tell you. Yeah. 
And I would argue if you're struggling to find a way to tell people about the hope of Jesus, maybe you've not really experienced the hope of Jesus. And mm-hmm. that's a really tough pill to swallow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been a Christian for 50 years. Okay. Where's the fruit? Yeah. Do you have something that you're actually wanting to share with people? Yeah. If all it is is like the Kiwanis Club for you, and this is the thing you do, if everything goes away in your life tomorrow, do you still buy what you're selling? Because when everything went away in my life, I had this moment in the mirror where I'm like, do I really, am I really going to buy what I've been selling for the last 24 years of my life? And I had a week with Jesus where I was like, do I really believe this? Mm. And, I, and I finally came to the realization, I actually do believe this. Whether or not I'm a pastor doesn't matter. Um, Jesus radically changed my life. Like, I was a hot mess without Jesus. I'm a hot mess with Jesus, but I was really a hot mess without <laughs> Jesus. And, and so if I can step into somebody else's hot messness with them yeah. and go, I remember that. And let me tell you how, how God redeemed, recovered, and restored me through that. Um, like, I'm, I'm just... And I'm doing it sometimes I'm a unicorn in life a little bit. Like I'm always, the intentionality for me is always how can I connect people to the hope and good news that I've got? Mm-hmm. And whether I work in a church or not does not matter. In fact, it's probably better that I didn't work at a church for a season because it really made me lean in and go, okay, I really believe this. You know, as you're talking, Trev, I think there's, there are Christians that are just, they weird people out. Oh my gosh. And yes. most of those people are people who don't hang out with people who aren't Christians. Yeah. Don't be a weird Christian. Yeah. And I think if you're, if you're confident about your faith and you're, like you said, you're sold out for it and you're around in situations with people who don't know Jesus a lot, this isn't hard for you. No. So for the person who's sitting out there that is hard for them, two things, um, get over yourself. Yeah. Because there's something bigger out there. (laughs) Absolutely. And don't be weird. Maybe there's three things. Don't be weird. (laughs) Start with don't be weird. (laughs) Don't be weird. Stop being weird. Get over yourself. And then, Get around some people who don't know Jesus. And dude, it is it's a breath of fresh air. Yeah. You just you start man, these people, there's no pretense. They're real. They are who they are. They'll tell you their crap. And there's opportunities all over the place. And, and they want it. They they desperately want it. That's why I tell people all the time, I'm like, if you don't have any non Christian friends, go make some new friends. Yeah. Because they're everywhere. It it doesn't take far. You don't have to go far. Mm-hmm. Um it, it just walk across the street. Well, don't do that here. There's a big field across the street from us here, but um, it, you know, it, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not hard. It's some, for some people, they just need to walk across the hall in their own house because it's their spouse or it's their kid. Yeah. Or so, like this guy that lived next to you. Yeah. You need to look up. Yeah. You yeah. need to start we just watched engaging that, people. Yeah. We just watched that movie. What was it? Don't look up <laughs> with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. where the world's going to get hit by a comet and the whole world's just looking down. They don't want to believe it. And the it, it, actually, it's probably a commentary of the church a little bit. Mm. You know, we just, we there's actually a scene at the end where they finally realize, well, maybe we ought to pray to a God. And this girl's boyfriend who walked away from God is the only one at the table that knows how to pray. Mm. And he prays his prayer as the world is ending. And mm. you're like, why would, why are we going to wait till the world is going to be obliterated mm. to help people see hope? Because their world's already obliterated. They just don't realize it. Yeah, that's good. You know, they've already been hit by the comet, you know. By the way, I could talk about this stuff for hours. I know you guys have a timetable. <laughs> I've got nothing. I'm just yeah. hanging, you know. It's like. You're uh, on vacation for, uh, a couple, just, for a couple more yeah, days. Yeah, gosh, don't tell my wife that. Uh, <laughs> Dude, we've been hanging for a week and a half. It's I know, good, bro. It's, it's been, actually, yeah. it's uh, it's been really good. Uh, that's And I, that's another thing I tell people. If you don't have somebody around you that is doing life with you and challenging you in these areas, make some new friends. Mm-hmm. Well, Trevor, so good to have you. So good to yeah. hear your thoughts. Sean, good to have you back. Good to be back. Good to good to have you here at our place, man. Oh, dude, I love this. Uh, Rocky good. is a great place. You, you got a great lineage, but you got a great pastor. Um, Sean and I have been friends for a long time, and I really believe you've got the best guy at the helm leading this place. I agree. Um, he's he the things that he tells you that he lives out, he actually lives out. That's and awesome. It's uh, just know that the guy that's leading is leading by example, not just by word. Well, dude, we're looking forward to. Pantano and your new place and what you're going to be doing there, what you're already doing there. It's going to be, it's going to be a good ride. Let's do another I'm, 10 years, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited not to be flying back and forth to Tucson come June because that's a lot of travel. Or to Cincinnati. Yeah, <laughs> Cincinnati <laughs> to Tucson. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's a lot of travel right now, but uh, I'm, sure. a, I'm a 10-day-a-month preaching guy right now, so <laughs> uh, I'm ready to, ready to be keep there. Your, keep your bangles, though, man. It's, 
I'm not a Bengals fan. No, no. I'm a Cowboys fan, which is way worse. So I would go with Bengals. (laughs) Just keep living out hope, man. At least for the next 20 years. Yeah, the Cowboys will be good again. Will you switch with me? I'm an Arizona Cardinal fan, man. Come on, I'm off that train too. I don't. I'm I'm good. I might be if the Broncos go crazy. You guys need to find some common ground. We've got common All ground. Right. It just has zero we need to, to do wrap with football. This baby up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks. Uh, good. So good to talk to you. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Well, thanks again for joining us on Rocky Unscripted. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can go to rocky.church/slash/thisweek. And no matter when you're listening, it'll always be up to date. We love to connect with you and love to serve you as much as we can. Please share the podcast, rate us, review us. That helps us be seen by more and more people. Love you guys, and we'll catch you next time.